Welcome to Tell Me Some More with me, your host, Dr. Shiva, clinical psychologist and curious human about all things emotions, relationships, connection, and growth. My mission is to help you in improving your self-confidence and your relationships, both with yourself as well as with others, and to increase your awareness around the topics that actually matter in order to live an intentional, fulfilling life. Each week, I'll be releasing one episode that will either be a solo session with me or a conversation with an expert in a different field. While I hope that you find this information helpful, it's not intended to be a substitute for mental health or medical treatment or professional advice. Now let's get curious and help you to have more of the life and the relationships that you desire and so deserve. Enjoy everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tell Me Some More with Dr. Shiva. I am so, so excited about today's episode. I have my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Pauline Yeknazar-Peck joining us. And we're going to be talking about all things relationships, dating, different frameworks in which we're like approaching life in our relationships. But Dr. Pauline, I would love for you to introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background, your experiences, and then we'll dive right in. I am so glad to be here. I feel like you and I do this all the time without it being recorded. So it's exciting to have one of our deep conversations recorded for mass consumption. And yeah, I'm a licensed psychologist here in Santa Barbara, California. I've got a small group practice and I specialize in working with the daughters of immigrants and intercultural couples. And that's because those are literally my identities as a daughter of immigrants myself, born in Iran, Armenian family, and had a first marriage, went through divorce in my 30s. Now I'm remarried and have two littles. And so I've got lots to say about from my own experience, as well as the work that I do with women about all sorts of cultural messages and how we bump up against them and how they seep into the way we approach relationships and how we are in relationships. So I'm excited to unpack it all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And you're so right. I feel like we have such deep, fun, like connecting conversations. Whenever I leave our conversations, I'm always just feel so heard and supported and just lighter. I mean, actually, for all of you listening, this podcast episode was really inspired from a conversation that we were having offline. And so I'm so grateful for you for joining me. I do think it's going to be such a fully powerful conversation for many people to listen to. But I would love to just get started. I know you focus a lot on relationships, working with intercultural couples. And what do you think, you know, when we refer to doing the work within relationships, what comes to mind for you? Like, what does that even mean? What does that even entail? I would love to hear just like your perspectives about that. Yeah, I think that we have a fantasy of what doing the work is. And then there's the reality of what doing the work is. The reality that's like not so fun. Yeah, Yeah, it's not so fun. Let's start with the fun fantasy that let's just indulge in that for a second. Yeah. Everyone who comes sees me in couples therapy, and I'll just put it out there that couples therapy helps me be a better person in my marriage. In terms of oftentimes helping another and seeing it in this objective way helps you to see yourself and the ways in which you get stuck in your own lives. And so just disclaimer, your therapist is getting something from your therapy clients. Um, (laughs) But, you know, a couple will come in and they each have this grand fantasy. They're going to come into couples therapy and finally an objective person 
is going to see if their partner does. Yeah. And is going to call them out. Call them out. Tell them like, you're doing this wrong and you're getting in the way of your relationship. And if you don't change, it's going to mess with this other person. And each person's going to feel vindicated and like, ah, finally, somebody else sees the BS I've been putting up with. So the work that you fantasize about is somebody else seeing and validating that the other person, your partner, your spouse, that person is the problem. And if they change, you would have such a better relationship. The reality of it is, is that couples therapy is like a two-person entry into individual work. (laughs) Yeah, like, great. Sign me up. (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, when your couples therapist turns that mirror toward you and you look at the ways I really see, this comes from Marianne Williamson. I didn't make this up. but She talks about a romantic relationship as shining a light on the obstacles inside of you to love. Where are your obstacles to love? Where are the obstacles for how you want to be loved, how you love others? So a romantic relationship is about uncovering the obstacles to love others and to be loved in return, to be of greatest service because we are our most loving selves. We're the highest version of ourselves. So the work is getting out of your own way. The work is looking at how you contribute to your own unhappiness. The work is how maybe you hold unrealistic expectations. The work is how your partner is doing something totally reasonable, but it's your stuff from the background that is interacting with it and making it feel so heavy. So the work is actually you showing up as your best version, which means working on the parts that you can totally control. And that's you, honey, that's you. You can never control your own husband. You can't control the person you're dating. I say all the time in a funny way to my clients, I'm like, if I could find out how to control your partner, if I could have found that out with all of my intellectualizing analytical capacity, I would be selling it, honey. Like I'm giving that away because don't you think I've tried to figure that out? So the work is you. The work is on you and figuring out how to address those obstacles so you can show up in a vulnerable, honest, and loving way and to love your partner and to allow yourself to be loved in return. So that's the work is like covering through that fantasy. The key to freedom, the key to a good relationship is not in the other. It's actually in me. And that doesn't mean every partner is the right match for you. Sometimes the work is recognizing the reasons you chose this relationship and maybe they're not the reasons that you want to move forward in the relationship. It doesn't mean that you stay in every relationship that is not meant for you, but it does mean being really tuned into your part of the partnership. I love that you highlighted that point because I think a lot of times when we even talk about doing the work, people will think like, well, relationships are supposed to be challenging. They're supposed to be difficult. So I need to continue to work at this when at times, of course, I think it's helpful. Yeah. Continue to work at it if there is that potential, right? Or and when I say potential, I mean, if you truly are a good fit, if this is someone who is aligned with you in the ways that you're wanting to be aligned, but also part of the work is, as you're saying, recognizing when that isn't the case and separating or distancing. But I, what I wanted to come back to, which I think, you know, I loved what you had shared of couples therapy being just like more of a mirror to ourselves and recognizing the obstacles that may be getting in the way of us being loved in the ways that we're wanting to be loved. So if I were to unpack this a bit and tell me if I'm understanding this correctly, is it like, so let's say if someone has super high expectations, 
right? And that's part of, or they're more perfectionistic tendencies. And that's part of what tends to contribute to the conflict within relationships. Is it when we're trying to understand those barriers, is it that we're seeing where do those expectations come from? Why does everything need to be perfect for me? Is that what you're referring to? Absolutely. It's like pulling on that thread. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm naked because my sweater fell apart. You know, like you're just like (laughs) pulling at it and you're like, where does this come from? I talk about it. This is what I say to clients all the time is your biggest fights, the biggest disappointments, the areas you feel the most shame, the areas you feel most frustrated. Those are critical things that we want to hold as nuggets of gold because in them, there's so much information of like, wait a second, why am I so frustrated? What was the disappointment about? And oftentimes if we back up and back up and back up, we're hitting up against a should. Shouldn't be like this. They should know. They should. And the shoulds give you a really good entryway into the scripts that we hold. And those are so, so influenced by culture. The scripts of what a man should be, what a partnership should be, what a woman should be, how life should go, what should go before the other. Career needs to be there before you date someone and then it's, marriage before children, like what are the shoulds? What is that script? And oftentimes I always said, there's two things that happen when you have a script going on. The first is that it disempowers you. The should, it's a rule rather than a choice. And the second piece that I always say is it makes the work invisible. If it just should be this way, my partner should know. I'm super frustrated because how could they not know this is how I wanted to spend the birthday. This is how to show love. Oh my God, I'm looking at it as a rule based on my culture. And especially because of my work with people coming from very different, everyone's always going to come from some a different vantage, even from the same culture. But when it's two different cultures, sometimes those differences are even more. It's like, wait, where did I learn that? And also if my partner should just know, then it makes invisible the work of, and even shameful, the work of saying to a partner, hey, For gifts for birthdays, I really like having an experience together. I don't want a toaster. And I definitely, if you're going to buy me a gift, don't want something practical. I want something full of love and romantic. And I want it to be playful. (laughs) Don't get me a toaster. I want it to be like totally form over function. Do not get me something functional. Give me something ridiculous. And people are so ashamed at having to say that. And again, all of this started from the frustration or the disappointment of maybe getting the toaster or not having their birthday celebrated the way they want. And the work that we do is back up and say, where did this come from? Is this empowering to you? Is this a script you want to be following or something you kind of absorbed very subtly and very innocuously without any choice? And also, what is the work? If you want that, what is the work that is entailed in it? that makes it so that you have to vocalize what you want. And a lot of people, I'll say this one other thing too, is a lot of people come from the framework of if I have to tell my partner what I want, so it's not perfect. If I have to tell them what I want, it already takes away from getting it. Totally. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. It's like, I want you to want this. I want you to want to lavish me with this experience for my birthday. If I tell you, it's going to like destroy the fantasy rather than Actually, I see it totally different. I see that if you tell someone and then they do it, what a beautiful in-action representation of love. Let's say your partner doesn't want to wash the dishes, but washing the dishes makes you feel like you cooked and your partner is really doing their share. It makes you feel like you're in it together. Let's say they hate cleaning, but they do it anyway because they know that's what you want. Isn't it even more special? 
that they're doing something they don't want to do for you. That's true love. If they wanted to do it, there's a part of it that's actually not about you at all. It's very natural to them. They like it. They don't even think twice that they have to go against or work around their own natural inclination to do something that is for you. That for me is like, how amazing that love, this is the kind of sacrifice piece or work piece of love. And that's the kind of reframe. I mean, I've said a bunch of different things there, but yeah. I love that you share that. And that's what I actually, I was going to bring up because even when we've communicated and made ourselves vulnerable in that way, I think a lot of times people think that's the stopping point. Like I've shared it, but then it's the recognition that, you know, the person is showing love through action, the most selfless way, right? They're willing, they're putting effort, which goes, it's so much more than if they were naturally to do it, but it may not feel like that. So then it's like, then you're doing back again, the internal work. Like, what does this communicate to me? that I had to tell the person, what are the stories? I think what comes up for me and what I'll oftentimes hear, and I've even experienced myself is like, well, if I have to express something, then does it mean that they didn't care? Does it mean that that I'm not as important, right? And so we come up with these stories and really doubt why we needed to express the things that we did. When really, and this is what you and I had been talking about offline of like, when really we just may be viewing it from such different perspectives, that behavior may not mean like have the same emotional charge or may not mean what it meant to us versus what it means for them. Yeah. Common sense is like the biggest oxymoron. There's no such thing as common sense. The more I work with people and their differences, I realize most of us, even like I said, from the same culture, don't have common anything. <laughs> yeah, like, that's there's true. Factors to how you interpret something, your own history, your own wants, your own personality, that there's no common in common sense everybody is operating from their own common sense. And so I have noticed this so much with my, I think actually being divorced and, you know, getting into the remarrying process. I had this fantasy when things were not working out with my first marriage that I was just going to find someone that was more, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, compatible. And if you find someone that is compatible, and I think I'll say something more about this in a second, I'll get on my soapbox. But before that, I'll say, I really had this thought that if I just find someone that's more compatible, there'll be less work. They'll be able to have a common understanding. They'll know, they'll express love in the same ways. And while the things in my first marriage that were missing or not satisfactory, I did feel like, and I do feel like I've gotten in this next marriage, I think very early on in the dating process, and even in the like first couple years of marriage, I realized, whoa, a lot of this is I'm carrying things, even though the relationships are very different and the people are very different, I'm hearing certain things, my own expectations, my own thinking of, you've got to do common sense according to what is common for me. I had a very like, I want you to make sense to me rather than, oh my gosh, we are two people with our own understandings. Let me try and understand this other person rather than let me have this like, this is my path. You better join me on it. And if you don't, I'm hurt by it. Or I said, like you're failing me. I think I told you in, on our phone conversation over the weekend, I was like, in our vows, I say to Max, like, and I promise and I vow to like, let you do it your own way. and Like realize like some BS about that. And I still, <laughs> that's a vow because it's like you said, it's not a, you're still working at it. <laughs> working at it, Right. It's like vowing. The yeah, vows are not one day, they're every day and you're kind of continuing forward, but we can, we can get to that place where we think our way is the way. 
and it's common and they should know. And we attach all these meanings to them doing it a different way. And oftentimes we want to be right because it justifies us in the hurt that we felt rather than saying, whoa, the story I'm telling myself, that's something I teach people is to say, the story I'm telling myself, when you forgot to pick up that extra gluten-free bread for me, this is for a friend, not for me, but it rings true. The story I'm telling myself is that I don't matter or that my needs don't matter. And the other person saying, oh my goodness, the reason I didn't do that, because I actually saw you had extra gluten-free bread in the fridge. I put it in the fridge. That's why I didn't do that. Immediately, you're kind of creating some distance to you did this and this is what you meant by it. You're not assuming intention and you're allowing the other person to kind of tell you their framework and how they operate. And many times we try and be right in the relationship because like I said, it justifies our feelings rather than truly trying to understand where the other person came from, which takes a high level skill. You felt your hurt. That's valid. And there's potentially another meaning that this other person from a completely different framework is moving through. Are you willing to understand that? Which means letting your hurt soothe for a second, containing it for a second, so you can hear that this person really did it in this other way. And it assumes some positive intent of your partner as well, rather than looking for all the ways in which they're hurting you. It's like, they don't want to hurt me, but they did. Let me try and understand where they were coming from. That's so hard to do in relationships. Yeah, no, I see it as like a dance, right? Like you have to notice what's happening for you, recognize how you're feeling, share in a non-judgmental way, be open to this other person. And also, ideally, the other person needs to respond well, right? So like the couples that you're sharing, like that within itself is a really strong interpersonal skill where if someone can share, this is a story that I had been telling myself and the other person will say, well, this is a story that I recognize and I didn't mean anything bad, right? There's so many additional steps that need to get us there. And as I share all that, just say, you know, if anyone is listening and you're wanting to maybe do more of this reparative work or more of this work really within your relationships, recognizing that it may not come off as easily for either one of you initially or for some time, like it is, there's a complexity which makes that work so much more beautiful, right? That makes it more special, but it is challenging in those moments for sure. I love all of what you shared. I think this really does come back to just really getting to know ourselves and really hearing who are we? Like, how do I understand myself? What is important to me? And then questioning that, right? Why is this important to me? And so if there are cultural factors, because I've done this for myself a lot, you know, there are a lot of aspects of my Iranian culture that I absolutely love and I really lean on heavily. And there are other parts of not so much, but the parts that I think that I really lean on, I'm really intentional about why I lean on them, right? So it's like important to going back to your point of just being curious as to why those things are. And then that will help you to make that empowered decision versus that should versus that rule. It's this empowered decision. in this is what fits for me. And this is why it fits for me. And I think having those conversations too. So much of it, I'm just like, wow, a lot of relationships is just so much going back to like exposing the clarity for all of us. But going back to, you know, you had mentioned thinking about relationships at work and having that quote unquote compatibility and initially seeing that as like a marker of a successful relationship or what could be a successful relationship. I'm curious at this point, given the work that you've done, given your life experience, what do you see now as like the foundation or the factors that really lead to? a lasting relationship, right? Whatever that may look like. Yeah. Unpopular opinion. 
<laughs> right up. So I think that we have, and this is my soapbox, you kind of like led me, you're like, here are the steps, yeah. step up here. So here I am for a second. <laughs> I'm going to say, I think we have gotten to this place where we are so freaking smart as a society. And we have so many tools, we have so much data, and we're really jumping into a revolution of having access to and really valuing psychological mindedness and psychological work on oneself. Like more so than think 50 years ago, it was not so. And I think that there's a fine balance between having information and feeling like you have total control. And I feel like things are veering into this side, especially with people that are dating and in the dating world of because I now know attachments, I, I know my histories, I know this, is like, I'm going to create this perfect AI of the person with whom I have ultimate compatibility. And that's what's going to make it a successful relationship. There's like almost like a formulaic way of moving through to find if I get X, Y, and Z, according to my astrological right. charts, my attachment yeah. now, my all of this, then I will have. And then I ask people, like, then you will have what? What is certainty? And it always comes back to protection from being hurt, trying to manage the risk inherent in relationships. To say, if I know more, that person's family history and their style, and da, 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 da. if I work with 17 different coaches around dating and do this various program and do years of therapy and travel and find myself and whatever that means, then I'm going to somehow be able to take this huge risk joining and yoking your life to another. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Right. Then I'm going to have some control. Then I can make the quote unquote right decision. I can't tell you how many daughters of immigrants just get caught in this, the perfectionistic, I have to make the right decision because my family is weighing on. It's not, you know, you know, in Iranian culture, Middle Eastern culture, many, many Eastern cultures, you've got families joining, not just two individuals joining. You've got family units that are joining together. And so I just find that with that more information, somehow we've internalized that we've got total control. And the number one thing I actually think, it's not compatibility. I do think you have some baseline compatibility. You know, you don't want children. They do. I mean, that's a big life thing. You want to make sure general sense of the vision for your life, big things. It's not facts necessarily, because I've seen lots of people, different religions, different backgrounds, make it work. It's just some semblance. I like this person. I can enjoy spending time with them. We do have some compatibility with values. And more and more we see from research, it's not opposites attracting. It's people that actually have some core similarities to one another. Once you've got that, I think the biggest thing that I see is willingness. It's willingness because people will have, the longer you stay married, the more number of marriages you will have. You will continuously be grieving the end of one marriage and the beginning of another to the same person. You will change. They will change. The relationship will change. Unexpected things you could never have accounted for will change. So there's no totally managing the risk. It's are you willing in the face of that risk to remain open, to remain honest, to be willing to change, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to do things you thought you would never do or that you'd never think you would have to do in a relationship, like reconceptualize something, like express what you want rather than just hold them in this negative space because they're not meeting your needs. It's willingness. 
I think it's like some basic level of compatibility. Most of it I see as willingness. And people ask all the time, like as if you can say these three things, they have the same family background. They want the same number of kids and they make a certain money. It's like those facts usually for us are these false pillars of security. The true security is do they see the relationship in the same way as work on oneself in union with another? And are they willing in those moments not to back out, but to lean in? That's literally what I see as being able to do it. And I will say this, I think if my previous husband had been willing, he probably could have been married. I was willing. And he had a stop and said, I'm not really willing to do this anymore. I said, okay. So we hit that, that willingness thing. I think that was so much bigger in terms of managing our differences than the actual differences. It was the willingness to both be in it and to continue. If you've got the willingness, you absolutely can make the relationship work. Absolutely. No, it's so funny. I was literally going to share the same word. I think for me too, I think there, even in my own experience, I feel like when I look back, the relationships that should have quote unquote work, right? Based on compatibility, based on attraction, based on whatever it may be, oftentimes didn't because of the more internal things. So I think of it as like willingness, but also willingness to put in effort. And I don't always mean by taking action, the effort can be very internal. But it is this willingness to put in effort and the recognition, as you mentioned, that the relationship takes work. I want to just like put an asterisk that like it takes work. And I think relationships are compromises, not that you're sacrificing huge parts of yourself or your identity, but that it is compromises. Not everything will be ideal to what we're wanting. But I love that. I think it is when someone can be willing in any relationship, not even just in dating, in any relationship, willingness to put in effort to correct course correct, whatever it may be, it's hard not to have that work because like, and whenever both parties are willing, even in a friendship, like you will get farther than if one party is not and you're just stuck there. Absolutely. And I think we get so much of this. If you just find the right partner, then it's also this other message that I think is actually steeped in kind of white and Western culture of your partner being your everything. Rather than if we look at like collectivistic cultures, I love the book from Elizabeth Gilbert, I think called Marriage. And it was like this period of time where she had done the whole eat, pray, love thing. And she'd gone away and she was all across Asia, all these different countries interviewing people about marriage. And of course, because of the kind of collectivistic background of so many of these cultures, they saw marriage as more of like this arrangement and this kind of coming together of roles. And I think so often now, especially young people in the Western world, there's so much of like, it's got to be love and they've got to be your soulmate. They've got to hit in a number of different layers. They've got to be your mental match, your emotional match, your sexual match, your like professional match, your family match. They have to like the same activities. They've got to hike at the same speed as you hike. You know, it's like, there's so much that we put onto the carriage of marriage. And I think that it's a recipe for disappointment. I would be lying if I said, and I think my husband listening to this wouldn't be hurt by that. Max is not my deep emotional soulmate. Like, I think that I have conversations with you, Will and Kyle, like our little psych group. Like, I have conversations with you three that you understand in love layers and levels that Max won't because he's not from the psych world. And I intentionally didn't marry a fellow psychologist. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't love me and support me and can give me empathy. It's just, we don't have to connect on the multiple layers the way that a psychologist and a psychologist would and bringing all of these things. And because I don't get that need 
fully met in my marriage doesn't make it any less, right? It's like, it's realizing that I think it's bringing what I do with most of my daughters of immigrants is like, let's not completely move into any world, whether it's Eastern or Western, let's find a hybrid. Marriage has kind of become this thing where you have to find this one unicorn. And if you don't, then there's all this risk that you're taking on rather than what would it be like if you looked at the work that it takes, but also got your needs met from a variety of different places. And we spread that out. Can we realize marriage was never, no relationship was meant to be your everything. And so what are the things that you're going to work on in the relationship? And what are the things that you're going to surrender to getting met in other ways, in other relationships? And can that be okay? That doesn't mean anything negative about your marriage. It realizes that every relationship is going to have strength and then certain things that are not. So that's why I reach out to you. Hey, I'd love to unpack something that happened with my family. I feel like with you, especially since we share a kind of a cultural background, that's going to look different. Max can hear me, support me, offer that co-regulating hug, take more of the kid duties for a couple of days while I'm just like wrestling and under a sense of duress as I'm unpacking it. But he may not be the right person to unpack every layer of it. And that's okay. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of the work of Esther Perel, of how she talks about how, for those of you who are not familiar, Esther Perel is a psychologist. And so she focuses a lot on just universally how do couples present and talks a lot about what you just shared, Pauline. But yeah, that, that there's this pressure to find this person that fulfills all of our needs. And I think it's just so important to see what are your non-negotiables and the recognition that likely that person, you know, the things that maybe aren't as important for you, recognizing that you may have to reach out to other relationships and have those other relationships. I also think, you know, what comes up for me and I, you know, you and I had briefly touched on this, but also, you know, we're coming into relationships a lot later with different experiences, with professional identities, even when we're thinking about immigrant women that you're working with. But my experience is very different than my mom's, my older cousins. And so I think that can also make it more complicated, but at the same time, it also makes it more easier in some ways, right? Because it's a recognition that we are coming in with other experiences of life that's already been built. And with that, understandably, like there's people from our past, there's people within our current life that we're going to refer to that we're going to lean on. And so that person doesn't necessarily have to be our end all be all in every way. Does that make sense? Total sense. You've already built a community of support. Right. And so how about those people? But also like the things that I think that I need now are different than my younger self. Even if I'm not comparing to other people, I think, you know, having a professional identity established, doing this work that I love, having my friend group, all of these things, I think I still very much want emotional support from a partner, but it looks a little different, right? The extent to which I need it looks a little different. I think it's less of a need and more of a desire, right? In a lot of ways. And I agree with you. I feel like this is why it can get so difficult to, you know, find your person and, you know, identify who's going to be good for you. But one other thing that I'll share is when we're thinking about the person that we want to end up with, I think, like you said, we're all looking for these things to check off, right? As far as traits or backgrounds or similarities. And it's also recognizing And this, I think, where a lot of us get stuck, it won't always stay like that. Like you may have the most amazing physical chemistry with someone, or you may have the most amazing emotional connection or compatibilities. And those things can change. I even think about my own experience and my previous person that I dated in the past. And 
we didn't have a lot of commonalities. And, you know, he would always want me to go hiking. And at the time, I thought, like, why would I want to go hiking? And the pandemic happened. And then I became like, I'm not a professional hiker, but I, you know, an avid hiker. I texted you, you're like, I'm going hiking. Yeah, it was, you know, my therapy. You know, it's a small example, but I think it just goes to show like that was a point of conflict for us at times. And I'm very much now doing those activities that at that time we both had thought were important and, you know, an area to focus on. So I feel like what I'm realizing is just, you know, what we're going into the marriage or the relationship with, you know, you want certain things, but those things may also change. And are you going to be willing to work at it, to find other things to connect around, right? So really, I think it comes back to that willingness, right? That what we said. I think that there is this continuous at the, like, if you boil it all down, it's we are trying to protect ourselves and constantly trying to mitigate risk. That's a very fearful place to be. Rather than the successful couples that I see surrender to the change, they surrender to letting go of even versions of themselves. I am this kind of person. I'm a person who does that. It's like, are you? What about you're a kind person? And there are a million ways to be kind. There's a million ways in how it can look. So I think we get so caught up. And if we, and I call this like a relational perfectionism. Like if we show up perfectly, we've done the work and then we're looking for that perfect match with the 98% compatibility, right? We find that then somehow we're gonna, again, it comes down to be able to manage the risk and the fear. We're afraid of getting hurt. Rather than surrendering, I'll tell you right off the bat, you are going to hurt your partner. Your partner is going to hurt you. That's it. There's no relationship where you will never hurt them and they will never hurt you. So if you surrender to that, rather than try to constantly set up these contingencies to never try and feel that, which is so much management, and I see that, even in relationships, I think people are learning therapy speak and then bringing that in to try to have the perfect fight rather than really just wade through the messiness of it. I don't do it perfectly. Come listen in on a fight. Like I use you language. I blame. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm not telling you how I feel. Whoa, I didn't express that. Like, it's in the moment and it's messy, but I think we keep thinking if we do it perfectly, if we are perfect in that relationship, if we say it on date three and a half that we have this value, if we find the person with the perfect fit, then we're somehow going to be able to manage all of the unexpected. And the truth is, if you surrender to that, I don't know exactly who I'm going to be in five years. So I let go of that. Can I find a partner that has the same framework? How do they do with the change? How do they do with the rocky periods? Are they willing to come in and say, wow, I thought of myself like this, but I'm willing to maybe do it this way, or I'm willing to see it differently? Like, do they have flexibility? I think that's the hallmark is, do they have flexibility of mind, of spirit, of action? Is there some flexibility? Which oftentimes the later people are coming to marriage and long-term relationships, I think flexibility can be a hard thing because you get so settled in your life. (laughs) I have so many clients that are in therapy alone, like individual therapy. And they're like, I'm great. When I'm single, I'm great. I'm like, yeah, because you get to define all the rules. You get to do it your own way. And they're like, my stuff only gets triggered when I'm in relationship. I'm like, yeah, duh. Yeah. You're not, you know, that's- We're not triggering ourselves. Exactly. We get to- (laughs) We're familiar. We're the familiar trigger. Exactly. So you're just like doing it in your own way rather than are you flexible to kind of, what do you do when, when it hits? And yeah, kind of be flexible to that piece. And one other piece you were saying is that 
you know, there's freedom in not having a roadmap and kind of doing it differently because you know yourself, maybe you've got more experiences than maybe your parents got married really young or know lots of people had arranged marriages or at least a lot of family input. They weren't two individuals making the decision. There's all the benefits, but the downside to that is also, I think people don't have a roadmap and a lot of the pressure that they feel from their immigrant families or even just generally from their older people it lacks a sense of recognition of the ways in which things are different now. And so it can be lonely and it can feel like people are not understanding, quote unquote, why it's taking you so long or looking down on some of the ways in which you're navigating dating or the work that it takes to be in a relationship. So it's twofold. There's a freedom because you're the first to kind of do it. But then there's also like a lack of guidance and sometimes not having a roadmap. And that's really scary. And I think the doubling down on the formula is a way to try and get some certainty in the midst of uncertainty rather than surrendering to it and saying, what support do I need to tolerate the messiness of how this is without role models in front of me? Yeah. And I think that it's even the dating world just in landscape has just changed so much, right? Like you may be interacting with someone again, who I think the basics, there's just so much more options right now as far as what does someone want? Do they want just to have fun? Do they want a dating relationship? What does even a lasting relationship look like? Is it a marriage? It may not even be a marriage, right? So it's like, there's so much more opportunity to define what you're wanting. And with that, there's, of course, that freedom that we're talking about, but also it can be even more challenging, right? Because now you need to see if they even agree with you as to what a really quote unquote relationship is, right? It's like those, I think there's some comfort in having maybe some more of a shared vocab around certain things that we just don't have. And so, or I shouldn't say we don't have, it's just maybe harder to experience in uh, certain dating experiences. But just to summarize, and I do have one more question, but just to summarize, I think what I'm hearing is for anyone listening that of course, dating relationships, Life is messy. It's imperfect, right? And you want to be thinking about when you're wanting to get coupled up or you're in your dating experiences, what am I bringing to the table? How is it impacting this relationship? What is this other person bringing? And when I'm thinking about who's going to be a quote unquote right fit, of course, the values are important, but also how do they present when there are difficulties? What is their level of willingness to work on the relationship? Do they also see the relationship as something that may change and may not always be positive. So I think it's coming back to rather than necessarily the checklist, which in some checklists, the, rather than going to that, really seeing, do we have the same foundation and the same understanding as to what a relationship is and the trajectory of a relationship? So like, do we have a similar definition? Yeah. And how- we and define, like you said, the definition, do we define conflict the same way? Yeah. A person's conflict is a disaster and indicative of something wrong with the relationship. Another person's conflict is a curious jumping off point to deepening their relationship to themselves and to becoming a better version of themselves. That's Marianne Williamson's, the spiritual function of romantic relationships, how they can be the catalyst again to the obstacles of love that exist in us. And does my partner see it in the same way? I love that she looks at relationships as it's like the hospital of the souls. Does our partner see that we're going to bring our own stuff into the relationship? We're going to work on it. And we're actually going to be more essentially us, more full of love. And that love that you, the moreness that you have is going to extend into every other relationship, whether it's parent relationship, whether it's you being a daughter, you being a friend. Like the work that happens inside your romantic partnership can extend out, but does your partner see it 
Or do they think every time you hit a conflict, oh, this is why we shouldn't be together versus like, wow, what are we going to learn here? Let me look at my stuff. Let me hear what you're saying. Where am I getting stuck? Can I do that? That is so critical. If you see the relationship and define it, and like you said, you have a common language. It's like that is not indicative of something wrong. It's exactly what should be happening. Kind of like, you know, if you were working out with a friend and they thought like, oh, anytime we get to a difficulty point, that means we should head back versus like that partner being like, this is why we came on the hike together. Let's go. We got this. We did. This is a level eight. Of course, it's going to be hard. You want to work out with a person who's going to see those bumps the same way in order to be able to move forward and to even enjoy it. There is some joy in the stress of it. Honestly, I'll say that. Like there's a joy in, oh my gosh, I usually criticize my partner, but I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to say it differently. And then I see how he responds differently. Like it's painful and it's stressful, but there's a joy because I know I'm growing. And sometimes I don't like my partner. Sometimes I don't like the work, but I know I'm growing and it's meaningful to me. I know that marrying him and staying married to him is continuously making a better him and, and me a better person. And that for me feels meaningful. And he's got the same. So we have commitment, even when we don't have lots of fun or easy compatibility all the time. It's like, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in healthy relationships, at least in my experience, it's like in healthy relationships, when there is that commitment, if that is what both parties are wanting, and we're willing to work at it, if anything, it just brings in so much more love, like over time, right? When you see that you and your partner are more committed to one another, and again, in a healthy relationship, and you're willing to change and have those difficult conversations, I think it exposes parts of ourselves that we didn't even know exist that we didn't know existed within our relationship. And all of that just brings in so much more love. Like, right, you, there's something very special that happens when you see that I've gone through with this person, you know, places that I've never been, right? Positive, negative, you know, like there's level of vulnerability, but a great level of connection that you can both be like, you know, this is something that I haven't experienced with anyone else. And that's so special. This was such an amazing conversation. I feel like you and I could continue this conversation for hours. And I just, you know, love connecting with you in this way and thinking about these relationships. But I usually end with two questions. And so I just want to get your quick what you think about these. The first one is, what would you tell your younger self? Looking back, what is one thing that you would tell your younger self? Whatever, if it's a word, a statement, Like, what is one thing that you would want her to remember or know? You can't rush things. So if you rush it, you're going to get an immediate reward. But in the long run, you might suffer. Choose intentionally and carefully. Don't rush in every aspect. Just don't rush. There's really no rush. Okay, I love that. And then what is one piece of advice that you would tell her to disregard? Your relationship is not an accomplishment. No relationship is an accomplishment. So to disconnect from, look at what I had. Your relationship is not a thing. It's not something that's giving you status or prestige in society. You've been fed that and you've got to unlearn that. Your relationships are messy portals to you developing. They are not accomplishments, things to be touted or things to give you some kind of legitimacy in the larger society. Disconnect from that idea. Thank you. I just got chills hearing that. But um, thank you for sharing that, Pauline. Thank you so much for joining me today. I always love connecting with you. And it was so special to have you on 
the podcast. If you could share a little bit about where people can find you and connect with you. Absolutely. You can find me on all things social. I'm primarily on Instagram, but I've got a TikTok as well at Pauline, the psychologist. And I share all things to empower immigrant women around what they didn't get from their immigrant upbringings, as well as all the gaps that exist in Western white psychology that don't speak to our unique experiences. And if you want to work with me one-on-one, I've got a month-long program. So many people come to me with the relationship, dating stuff, and the family, and all of this we talked about. If you want, I can't give you, it's not you're following my roadmap, but if I can support you in trailblazing a path that works for you, that is my deepest honor. And, and I love doing that. So you can find information on Instagram in terms of connecting around that or my website, my group therapy practice is called Noor Therapy and Wellness. So website is just noortherapyandwellness.com and you can find all my programs plus freebies for setting boundaries with immigrant parents. I've got a free book club and we read all fun things that always kind of intersect children of immigrants and mental health issues. So loved being here and it's amazing to just even just to see you do your thing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll share all of that in the show notes. And thank you again. And until next time, everyone, take good care. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Tell Me Some More with Dr. Shiva. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you would subscribe, share, and write me a five-star review on iTunes so that we can build this wonderful community and support others in living fulfilling lives. Just a reminder that this podcast and information shared is solely for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. It's not meant to be a substitute for mental health or medical treatment or advice. If you're looking for additional support in your journey, please seek out a qualified professional. Until next time, everyone, talk soon.